Welcome to Jumpstart, where I give you quick and honest advice to help you jumpstart your career. Hey everyone, I am back with a very special episode today because this is the first time that I'm having a guest on my show. And although it's the first, it is definitely not the last. When I first started planning this podcast and kind of like figuring out what I wanted to do with it and what kind of content I wanted to cover, a big part of what I planned was actually having other people on, interviewing different guests who are experts on different topics. Because I think it's a great opportunity to learn from other people. I love having conversations with people who, you know, talk about what they're passionate about or talk about their area of expertise. And plus, there's a lot of stuff that I want to cover on this podcast, and I'm definitely not an expert on all of it. So this is the first guest, but most certainly not the last. It'll be a little bit of a longer episode than usual. Um, But yeah, with that being said, let's get into it. Devin Griffin is an account manager at ISG Search, one of Toronto's boutique recruitment firms, and he also runs his own business as a productivity coach, where he helps busy people get things done with neuroscience-based tools. Devin, thank you so much for joining. It is a real pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, well, you know, thank you, Sarah, for inviting me on. It's uh, it's exciting topic, so we're going to, I think, be covering here today, and uh, I'm happy to be here. Hopefully, you can share some fun things. I'd love to start off by learning a little bit more about what you actually do. Can you can you tell me a little bit about what you do in your day job and as a productivity coach? Yeah, for sure. So as an account manager, essentially what I'm doing is I'm, I'm reaching out to prospects, which are businesses um, that are looking to fill in some employees in the tech space. So they might be hiring, you know, software developers, you know, business analysts, things that are very technical. So we essentially as a, as a, recruitment agency, you know, focusing on tech, what we're doing is we're providing top talent to businesses throughout Canada and in some cases, the United States as well. So my job is to find these businesses, you know, convince them to have a meeting with me and hopefully we line up well in in our service and then we're able to work together. And from there, I essentially communicate with our internal recruitment teams and then they find candidates for myself. We do some screening, we submit them to the organization and Hopefully the uh, the business likes it and they end up placing the candidate and we get paid commissions based on how you know much the salary is for the employees that we get placed. So that's that side of things. Um, in terms of being a productivity coach, really what I'm doing is helping people, you know, by first learning a little bit more about what they are doing for work or, you know, even if they're still a student, let's say, learning details of their routines and, and how they operate on a day-to-day basis. And then from there, seeing where we can optimize things a bit better by providing them with evidence-based tools that are founded through neuroscience research. So we leverage those tools um, based on, you know, what that person is needing to improve. It could be sleep. It could be, you know, extending their focus for more of a duration. So it really just depends case by case, but that's, that's my approach with that. Wow. It sounds like really meaningful work. I'd like to hear more about kind of how you got to where you are in your career. Can you talk a little bit about your background and what led you to where you are now? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I started off uh, even from when I was in high school. I, I found that I enjoyed, you know, speaking to people and and providing you know my point of view on a circumstance that they're in, positive or negative, and you know just just trying to help others. And it really makes me happy when 
I finish a conversation with someone and they come out of it feeling, you know, just more positive in general, they're feeling happier, they're feeling less stressed, they're feeling more equipped to deal with whatever situation they're going through. Um, so that, that always gave me a great sense of meaning and, and really enjoyable. So with that said, I, I then went into university originally actually for a Bachelor of Arts degree in psychology, but uh, found that more of my, my skills and interests lied more on the side of business. So what happened is I switched into a business degree in my second year. And uh, from there, four years later, got my business administration degree. But near the end of it, I still really want to stay in touch with psychology as I truly find the human being to be you know, fascinating. So I wanted to keep that. So I decided I did, ended up doing a major in marketing with a minor in psychology. From there, I throughout university and after university, I've, I've done lots of sales work and I really fell in love with sales and, and commission-based work. I, I find that the, uh, the hustle of things is very inspiring for me and I really enjoy being able to work harder and, and reap the rewards of my efforts. So that's kind of what drove me to that. But then getting you know more into what I'm doing nowadays, like for example, studying at you know, University of Toronto and, and really just spending a lot of my own time researching all the time, I, I find that it's it's great to be able to leverage a lot of new age neuroscience research and psychological studies to provide these tools to other people so that they can try and optimize their lives better. So I think overall, it was really just a from a young age, this drive of, you know, and, and, and enjoyment with helping other people combined with my own, I guess, struggles as someone with ADHD going through academic systems, you know, educational institutions, they're not designed at all uh, in favor of those with ADHD and many others that are neurodiverse. So it was a challenge and I had to learn a lot of these tools just to get by myself. So from there, realizing I knew what I needed to do and I could help others improve in aspects of their life as well. So that's uh, how I kind of got into that. Wow, that's such a great story. And it's it's definitely a very niche area of expertise. So I love to hear about how you know you kind of found your groove that way. There's so much to learn about this topic. I'd love to know what are some of the main barriers in your experience to productivity? A big one, honestly, is not being like to be productive, first of all. You have to be able to be disciplined, right? You need to be able to tell yourself, okay, this is what I'm gonna work and this is what I'm gonna do. You know, this is what I'm gonna study time to study. You need to be able to have that discipline and to develop discipline is honestly very difficult. I I still struggle with it, but I've definitely improved a lot over the years and it's it, you need a strong motive, you need a goal, you need something to push yourself towards. You can't be aimless. You need to be able to narrow yourself into a field, into an expertise, into a skill set and realize that you can always learn new things and try other things that you're passionate about later on in life. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot of years to live. And if you focus on one thing for an extended period of time, you'll get better at it a lot quicker than if you tried to do a bunch of things at the same time. So really, first of all, getting that discipline down, knowing what it is you want to get out of, you know, whatever it is you're working on or studying, what's the outcome, right? What am I getting out of this? So that way you can more easily motivate yourself to start working on it and to get into kind of a flow state. Now, another thing that's a, a massive barrier, especially in this day and age, is things relating to social media, especially with cell phone usage. Because when, uh, like from a neuroscience perspective, a cell phone is really a great object to drill your focus into. It's a smaller screen which requires your vision to go into more of what's called a focal state, meaning essentially tunnel vision, as, as people call it. You really drill in 
and it's hard to break your attention away from it as it's close to you. Um, psychologically, we attach a lot of value to our cell phones. Um, I think there were some studies done that showed how people, you know, if they were given a lump sum of money, how much would it have to be for them to be willing to give up ever using a cell phone for the rest of their life? And it, the average, I think, ended up being somewhere around $5 million. So the the value that people place on a cell phone because of the you know what it allows you to do is is very high so when you have a small screen like this that is really engaging for your brain combine that with how social media works it what social media is doing is it especially like instagram for example or tiktok you know you're switching what topic or task it is that you're thinking about constantly and that is literally training down your ability to focus for extended periods many people these days are getting clinical diagnoses of ADHD, but it's simply something that has developed because of social media use, among other things, of course, but uh, is my strong belief that social media is really uh, hindering a lot of people's ability to maintain their focus for extended periods, right? You look at one post, it's one topic, your brain is on that track. You scroll and now seconds later, you're on a completely different post, completely different topic, and your brain has to make that switch. And if you keep doing that, you know, your brain gets really, really good at switching, but that's not good for when you're trying to get, you know, productive work done, uh, studying done. You know, those are things that require extended focus. So being able to, to limit um, social media usage, cell phone usage in general, but especially social media usage will help people massively be able to improve their focus and thereby their productivity as they're actually able to, you know, stay in the zone as they say for much longer periods of time and the easy way to do that at this day and age almost every cell phone has the ability just built right into the settings to you know look at how much time you're actually spending on instagram tiktok etc and then you can set limitations for how many minutes per day you'll be on that so you know let's say you spend four hours a day on instagram you don't want to go right from four hours a day and say okay i'm gonna you know get a good handle on this time to cut it to 30 minutes a day that's not going to work you're going to fail it's just like someone who's never worked out before and they decide i'm you know new year's resolution i'm gonna start working out every single day for an hour it's not sustainable unless that person has extremely high levels of discipline already they're likely going to fail within a few weeks because you're just going from zero to 100 right it's too much shift at once incremental steps are always going to win in the long term when it comes to breaking bad habits or building good ones or developing skills. It's those incremental 1% improvements, which is a, something that's talked a lot about in the book Atomic Habits. So there's things like that that are really important to realize is when you want to make a change, like you know improving your productivity, realize that it's a process. It's not going to happen overnight. Yes, there are tools you can use that provide immediate benefits, but to reliably you know, and consistently improve in anything is going to take smaller steps. You don't want to be going for leaps and bounds or else you might kind of injure yourself, right? You don't want to do that because then you'll give up and it'll take you years, months or years to you know, try again, right? So you really need to avoid that. So I recommend with the phone and social media situation, four hours is what you're currently at. Let's drop that to three and a half or three and you know, 45 minutes. It seems small, but if you keep scaling it down, you know, once a week, you adjust that, drop it 5, 10, 15 minutes each time, you're going to be able to much more gradually shift your comfort level with how much social media you're using. And that will enable you to be in more situations where you're, well, you know, not in social media, which will allow you to focus more on other things.
So I think that that's uh, tech and, and social media is a huge barrier to productivity because it, it, to be productive, you need to focus. So that's something that I think was uh, worth covering and think something people should look into. Yeah, that's definitely great advice. It seems like our generation understands that cell phones are not necessarily good for us, but we don't always understand why that is or, you know, the, the reasons behind that. So it's really interesting to, to understand like how it actually impacts the brain. I'd love to hear your thoughts on like, let's say hypothetically, there's someone who is spending a lot of time on social media. They're really struggling to focus at work or in other areas of their life. And maybe they've implemented, you know, trying to reduce some of their screen time. But what other strategies would you recommend to train themselves to focus for longer? One thing I think is to, first of all, before you even worry about focusing for longer, knowing how to initiate focus in general. So one uh, tool, a fun little neuroscience based uh, tool here that I can discuss is if you are, you know, really needing to focus and sit down and and engage yourself on something, um, you can try essentially just going on the approach of focusing on a single point for a minute. And what I mean by that doesn't have to be like, you know, a black dot on a white wall, although that would be ideal. It has to be anything that is static. And that is, you know, pretty much hand, like if you put your arm out straight in front of you, that distance or further away from you, and then maintain your focus on a single point and do not let your eyes look and glance at anything else for a minute. And what that's doing is it is engaging areas of your brain, it's moving activity, it's increasing blood flow in certain regions that are task-oriented networks. These are areas of the brain responsible for engaging your focus in something. They are very uh, some cases, very old circuits, you know, our hunter gatherers, we haven't really changed much in terms of brain structure since then. And that's uh, essentially a way of leveraging that is forcing yourself to enter a more focused state by leveraging your visual system. And out of any kind of organ or, or you know, pathway in your brain, the quickest way to focus, according to neuroscience, is through your visual system. So using your vision, focusing your vision to focus your mind, that is uh, something that uh, um, a professor from Stanford, Dr. Andrew Huberman, talks about, and it's uh, definitely a strong point with lots of research backing it up. So yeah, finding a point that is ideally the same distance actually from you as the monitor or whatever the work is that you're working on, that distance, you know, matching that distance, staring for a minute, and you'll find that you should be easier to engage your focus from then on. So that's something I would recommend as a simple to apply tool. Wow, that's great advice. And it definitely sounds like something that you could implement right away. Could you expand on that and maybe talk a little bit about how often you should be doing that and, and maybe at what times? Like, should you do it right before you're trying to focus or any time of the day? Um, definitely right before you're trying to start, you know, whatever task it is that typically you avoid or that you struggle to focus on. So whether that's, you know, struggling to do certain chores around the house Um, or whether that's to, you know, start working on your side hustle, a business of some kind, or, you know, even just your regular work or your studies as a student right before, or, you know, right at the beginning, essentially of that, do the one minute and and see how you feel afterwards. Interesting. Okay. Well, when I sit down to edit this episode, I'll, I'll definitely give that a try and let you know how it goes, but I think it sounds (laughs) like something that's really easy to implement right away. So thank you. Of course. Now, something that I talked about in a recent episode is procrastination. Can you touch on that at all? Definitely, especially as someone with ADHD, I'm kind of a master at procrastinating. And 
most people honestly, uh, uh, you know, know what procrastination is. Everyone does procrastinate and that's, what's great. Honestly, with having ADHD is I'm able to explain things that people can relate to when I talk about symptoms, because most things that people with ADHD experience are experienced by everybody. The only difference is severity and frequency, but when it comes to procrastinating and everyone does it to some degree with something, right? So what happens when you procrastinate is, is you're given a task and you're, you know, you know, the deadline in most cases, not all the time, but in most cases, you know, a deadline for whatever this task is that you have to do. And you decide that you've got time, right? No, I don't need to do it right now. I can put it off. I can do it later. And then later comes, I can do it later. I can put it off. And then you might even forget about it. And then a few days go by and then you're like, oh crap. Like, you know, now it's coming up, deadlines coming up your stress, which is cortisol and in molecular science with your, your body, that is what stress is. And that will spike and increase. And then as a result, other neurochemicals will increase as well. And that puts you into that state where now you can actually focus and start working on it. Here's where the problem comes in. If you succeed at that procrastinating, like in the end, you actually do pull it off. You know, you do submit the assignment five minutes before the due time at 11.59 p.m., right? Or you do make uh, the, the get the work done for the day, but right at the end of the day, whatever the task is, if you actually succeed by taking the procrastination approach, all that's doing is our brains are very practical. So it takes that as, oh, that's an effective tactic. Let's do that again. And the pathways and areas of the brain that you've been engaging throughout that procrastination process get reinforced. You get better at procrastinating. And that's not what we want. So you need to, you know, avoid that. And then an ideal situation would be you procrastinate and then you actually fail. You don't manage to get it done in time. And yes, obviously it's not ideal, but if you want to break procrastination, that would definitely be a, a good approach. But I think a better way to do it is to find tools that you can use to leverage um, getting started sooner, right? So being able to start these tasks, these studying, these projects, whatever it is, sooner. One way to do that is uh, what's called the five-second rule, uh, something created by uh, Mel Robbins. Uh, she essentially talks about how within the first five seconds of you know, the thought of, oh, I should take the garbage out, or oh, I should start working on this right now. Within five seconds of having that thought, marry that idea to an action, do something. Oh, I should take the garbage out start walking to the garbage can right within those five seconds because otherwise what happens we all do this after about a five second window and obviously of course this is an average but what happens is then in our mind we start rationalizing right let's say oh crap i still need to take the garbage out today oh but you know it's noon um you know the garbage chute doesn't close for this apartment building until 7 p.m I'll just do it later, you know, and then you do, you put it off, you rationalize your way out of having to do whatever the task is right then and there. So that's one thing you can do. And another thing you can do that also still involves the number five, but it's a five minute rule, which is essentially a five minute timer. What you do is you think, oh, geez, I need to do this work within the, you here, you can combine the five second and the five minutes. So within the first five seconds, then the idea of something that you need to do, then decide, okay, I'm going to sit down and, you know, study or I'm gonna sit down and work for five minutes. Set a timer and start. And what, what you'll find is if you do this and then tell yourself also, at the end of that five minute timer, when it goes off, I can stop. You know, I will allow myself to stop. I don't need to do this more than five minutes. And what you'll find is when you tell yourself that, you be honest to yourself like that, 
the, the barrier to starting that, that big, you know, mental wall that's put up there between you and the task will break down and you're able to actually motivate yourself to start. Cause like, Hey, you know, I could do five minutes and let's say even five minutes is, is feeling like too much for you right now. Make it shorter, you know, have some humility, understand that these are the difficult things to break, set it to three minutes, two minutes, whatever you need to do to make it happen a minute for goodness sake, whatever works. But then when that timer is up, what often you'll find, and I mean, most of the time, you've already started, right? You're already kind of getting into the zone. You've already been working. You've already set up your books to study. All of these things that make it harder for us to start, you know, all this setup you have to do when you want to focus on something is already dealt with. And at that point, you say, screw it, I'll keep going. And then, you know, you set for an hour, hour and a half, or you don't even set a timer and you just work, right? So that is a really, really powerful way of dealing with it because you're taking down that big barrier in your mind of, oh, geez, it's going to have to set all this up and do all this. And you just don't, you eliminate the consequence. You don't have to worry about it anymore. So five minute timer is one thing you can do. Start of any time you want to get some work done, set that timer, tell yourself you're only going to work for that amount and then see how you actually feel once you're done it. Five second rule within five seconds of having a thought of something that you should be doing, marry it to an action. So that's, those are two things I'd recommend for avoiding and breaking down the bad habit that is procrastination. Wow. That's great advice. And I know that in your role, you need to work really quickly, especially because as you know, you've mentioned earlier, you partially work on commission. So what are some of your personal strategies for maintaining efficiency at work? A big one for me is avoiding uh, caffeine, like, you know, a cup of coffee or anything like that within two hours of waking up to briefly explain why that is um, we're gonna have to cover some a quick uh, neurochemistry here so essentially you have this chemical called adenosine that builds up in your brain throughout the day and by building up i mean it's attaching to these little receptors think of them think of a receptor like a parking spot um, in your brain and it is going into this parking spot but adenosine is like a tiny little moped or something it pulls in it doesn't really take up the whole parking spot if you have a cup of coffee what happens is you take in this caffeine and caffeine actually parks in the same parking spot as adenosine, but caffeine is this big lifted truck and it'll just go right on top of the bike and now the bike's crushed underneath it or it's stuck there and they can't get out. So what happens is once the caffeine wears off, it leaves, then the adenosine can detach from that receptor. So why is that important? Well, what happens is as your day progresses, adenosine binds to more and more of these receptors. It, more of these little mopeds of adenosine are parking into the parking lot. And when you're sleeping, your brain's janitors essentially clear them out so that you're fresh for the next day. But when you wake up for about the first two hours after waking up, that process is still happening. It's still cleaning them out. It's not done as soon as you wake up. So it continues when you're awake. And if you have coffee within that time period, it can't finish cleaning out the adenosine. And as more adenosine is built up in your system, the less wakefulness you feel, the more sleepy, the more lethargic, the less focused, the harder it is to focus. And that's why when people have coffee in the first two hours or so, especially uh, with just the duration of caffeine's effects for your brain and body, it, you tend to have a crash right after lunchtime, especially if you had lunch, because now your body's entering rest and digest, blood's leaving your brain, it's going to your guts to help process the food. And combine that with the, the drop off of the effects from the caffeine. And now you're in this state where there's already still a bunch of adenosine that's binded in your brain and you're just tired and you feel like you could pass out. 
And a lot of people cope through that by having another cup of coffee. But that's not good because now that denizen is still in that parking spot and you're just going to be completely exhausted at the end of the day. And it's also going to damage how well you're going to perform the following day and so forth. So it builds up this enormous amount of just essentially physiological and neurological exhaustion. And that's what makes people also burn out, by the way. That's one reason anyways. You know, I really try to avoid having any caffeine within those first two hours. So that way I can maintain more efficiency and productivity and just get more work done throughout my entire day because I avoid that crash. So I still have coffee. In fact, I'm usually counting down the minutes, you know, waiting for that two hour mark uh, that the research points to so that I can then have my my cup of joe. So um, it's it, it has been really effective for me. I find I get significantly less crashes from from caffeine and overall throughout the day, I'm able to work more effectively and even into the evening when I'm working on my coaching business. So that's some one thing I do. Another quick one is is making sure that, you know, if you're working with computer monitors, for example, the monitor is either at eye level or higher from where the, you know, the level that you're sitting at. Um, if it's below eye level and you're having to tilt your head down, that actually is essentially it's engaging certain uh, receptors and, and cells in the back of your eye, what's called your retina, and they are going to make it harder for you to focus. Uh, it's a bit complicated, so we won't jump into the details, but just take my word for it there. There's plenty of research on that. Last thing I'll say, or for now anyways, is posture. Posture is super, super important for maintaining efficiency, wakefulness, that autonomic arousal, and being able to maintain your focus for an extended period. What I mean by that is maintaining more of an erect, straight up posture, a healthy posture is not only, of course, good for, well, your posture and your spine health, but it is going to help your brain uh, focus better because when you recline, you know, you kind of lay back, you slouch. What's happening is that's it's it's less of an intense state and overall your brain is going to think it's time to rest and you're not, it's going to be harder for you to focus. It's going to be harder for you to motivate yourself. It's just all going to be more difficult. So when I'm working, I'm working, you know, I'm sitting up, I'm, I'm really drilled in. And when I'm resting, I lean back. I love leaning back in my chair, but only once I've done my work bout for that period of time, which I guess the last thing that just popped to mind when you are working, if you're in that zone, you know, try to do it for 90 minutes and then take a break. That'll leverage some natural uh, uh, cycles that your brain works on. So 90 minutes of focus at a time and then five to 10 minute break. And that'll work quite well for most people. Okay. Well, I definitely sat up a little bit taller while you were explaining that. <laughs> um, so thank you for the for the posture correction. That's great advice. I'd like to dig a little bit deeper on, on one of those points. You know, you're talking about coffee and waiting two hours before you wake up to have your first cup of coffee. Um, and I'll be honest, you know, I, I've always experienced that kind of 2 p.m. dip throughout the day. And I always thought I was hacking the system by having another cup of coffee or a cup of tea around that time to wake myself back up again. Um, it sounds like that's not the right approach. But you also mentioned that 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 kind of afternoon dip or that afternoon um, tiredness can come from digestion. You know, you've eaten lunch and now the blood is going to your gut to digest. Do you find that you still experience a little bit of a dip around that time if you're not having coffee right when you wake up? Or does having the coffee later on in the day, let's say, you know, two or three hours after you wake up, do you find that that eliminates that dip completely? It doesn't eliminate the dip completely because whether a human being was to use a, a stimulant like caffeine um, or not, that dip is still natural. It's part of our circadian rhythm. It's part of our body. It's a natural process. You always will have a dip in alertness afternoon. 
Um, that is just a, a biological function. It'll always be like that unless you've got some sleeping disorder that kind of throws off your circadian rhythm. But for the vast majority of us, that dip will happen no matter what. But it will be less severe if you, for example, don't have lunch. So if you fast, let's say, let's say you've missed, you know, you're someone who fasts through breakfast and lunchtime and you just eat really big dinners um, or whatever, you know, your system ends up being. But if you didn't have lunch, you would have less of a dip after. You still would, but it would be less. And if you didn't have uh, coffee, then it would be less as well, unless it was, you know, two hours or more after your, your, uh, you woke up then it, it wouldn't be as much of an impact. But no matter what, you'll still have that dip. That's that's why some cultures in the world, they often will have, you know, an afternoon nap, um, even built into some workplace. I know at some places in the UK, there's there's more nap rooms and offices. So that's uh, kind of leveraging that. And, you know, they may not have understood the science behind it for long ago, but it's something that they've been doing and that they honestly should keep doing. I think more businesses should include nap rooms for for their employees because even just a 20 minute nap after lunch improves your productivity for the rest of the day so much you know you've given some really great advice and, and really applicable advice and i know you've helped so many people understand how to be more productive and honestly everything that you're doing in your personal life i think is a real testament to that you know you've got your full-time job you're building your business and you're also taking classes at university of toronto what would be your advice to someone out there who wants to do what you're doing, which is building a business while working full time? There's a lot of uh, avenues to that. And, you know, there's there's far more than than I know, I'm sure, of course, but lots of, you know, sources you can pull from. I would say for me, though, what I would suggest is is consistency from what I've learned from from mentors of mine and, and you know, role models I look up to when I'm doing my own research and learning things common thing is consistency with with a side hustle you know when you're building uh, a second source of income when you're building a business and working a full-time job it really is that consistency understanding that alluding to earlier with you know incremental improvements it's really important to realize that you know you can't just have you know rely on every here and then having an evening where you're super inspired and you work for five to eight hours and and then nothing happens for weeks or months, and then you do it again. It's just not going to work that way. You need to be able to be more consistent, whether that means, you know, 30 minutes or an hour every day or only on weekdays or only on weekends or only every second day, whatever that is. But you need to implement some sort of consistency. Um, you know, once you adapt to that consistently, then you can try and amp it up a bit, increase the time, increase the numbers of days you do it per week, you know manage to gradually make improvements so that you can work outside of your full-time job more and more. The human being is capable of that if you can do it safely, meaning gradually, right? If you jump right into, okay, I'm already working 40 hours, maybe sometimes a little bit of overtime too, and now you're trying to implement a schedule where you work two to three to four hours after work every day, you're going to burn out real fast. Burnout is a very real thing. It's psychological and it is physiological, meaning that it's both in your mind and it's also impacts your body. You burnout is a very bad thing and it'll make doing everything else in your life a lot harder when you are burnt out. So you really want to avoid that. And the best way is to, you know, have some humility, take baby steps. Your motivation, especially in the moment, might push you to be like, I can handle this. You know, I'm going to take on so much right now and I can do it because I really want to do it. But the thing is, is motivation fades, inspiration fades. And when you lose that, all you're left with is your discipline, your routines, your habits that you've built up with discipline. So 
you need to build that up in the most effective way possible. And, and the best way to do that is by taking smaller steps, right? The easier steps, but then gradually improving over time and increasing that focus. So that's, that's what I would recommend. Wow, that is such great advice. And I have to say, Devin, this has been such an interesting conversation. The best part of this conversation for me so far is how simple a lot of these tips and tricks you have are to implement. You know, it sounds like the science behind it is really complicated, but what you actually need to do to get into that focus state or to train your focus or to be more disciplined, it seems like it's a lot of little things over time that make up a really big difference. Very much so. Yeah, that is exactly it. It's when it comes to making improvements in literally any faculty, any any kind of improvement in your life, realizing that little steps are going to pay off more in the long run than trying to make leaps and bounds because leaps and bounds require motivation and inspiration, which is a perishable thing, right? It comes and goes. And sometimes it'll come right when you're in the middle of working on at your job and you get really inspired with an idea to work on your business. But guess what? It'll fade. That inspiration will fade by the time you're done your shift because you'll be tired and you won't want to do it. But what will make you do it is discipline. What will make you do it is a routine, habits. So relying on motivation and inspiration to build up a dream business, uh, work on a side project, do something that makes you happy is, is, is going to be difficult because these things take time and they take consistent effort. So I really would recommend people to, to consider that when making their decisions. That's great advice. Thanks, Devin. I have one more question for you. Um, so it's a little bit of a general question. And this is actually a question that I plan to ask all of my guests on Jumpstart. If you could go back and you had to choose a completely different com career path, you know, something not at all related to what you're doing now, what would it be and why? Very good question. Um, for me, honestly, what jumps to mind right away and uh, yeah, yeah, for me, it would be being an astrophysicist. So astronomy and whatnot, working with the, the, the more mathematical side and physics, but in the world of space outside of our planet. There's so many mysteries that we really just don't understand yet. And there's lots that we do understand, but there's more that we don't than there's that we do. And I think to be able to be a part of that and be a part of, you know, the people in our world that are expanding our understanding of the universe around us, I, that would be something that would fill me with a lot of joy. And ever since I was a kid, I've always loved space and planets and how, you know, just mysterious it all is when you look up at the night sky and that feeling of wonder that it fills you with. So I remember even as a kid, I, I wanted to be an astrophysicist. So I think that would, that would definitely be it. Well, Devin, thank you again for coming on the show today. It has been such a pleasure to hear all about what you do and all of your tips and advice. I definitely have lots of things that I plan to implement in my own life. So thank you so much for joining today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great chat. And, you know, hopefully the uh, listeners here at the podcast are able to take something away from that. And, you know, if anyone's ever interested in learning more, you can find me on LinkedIn, Devin Griffin. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I had so much fun interviewing Devin. I learned a lot and I really hope you did too. If you're listening on Spotify, be sure to give me a five-star review. And if you're listening anywhere else, you can also leave me a rating or a review. They're always super appreciated. 
You can check out the show notes to see Devin's links to his LinkedIn profile or his Pick My Brain profile if you're interested in connecting with him or just learning more than what you already did. And if there's a guest that you think you'd like to hear on the show, let me know. You can email me at jumpstartcareercast at gmail.com. Or maybe you yourself want to be a guest on my show. Maybe there's something you're an expert on or something that you think you'd like to add to the conversation. Email me. I am actively looking for more guests to come on and always happy to chat. Thanks so much and I'll see you next time.